You are listening to episode 21 of the STEM space, and we're back in our series about teaching fads. We last covered the fad of learning styles in episode 16, where I learned that I'm not actually a visual learner. Today, you will find out if STEM education itself is a fad. Let's dive in. Welcome to the STEM space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha. Two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. Hey, Claire, how's it going? Hey, good. I'm excited to talk again after this long Thanksgiving break. Yeah, I cannot believe it's December. Yes, and we only have a few more weeks left of school, and I'm trying to cram in all the things that I'd wanted to accomplish this semester. And there's just so much information that I want to do. Hour of Code is coming up, and then doing Christmas STEM stuff, and how am I teaching these kids and making sure that I'm (laughs) reaching them to teach them about all the things to make sure that they're going to hold over that information until I see them again in January. And they're extra crazy and excited for winter break. So it makes it even harder. So you have to be extra engaging, right? That's right. When is your last day of class? The 18th. Okay. So the nice thing about college is that we are done. (laughs) So whenever you're a college student, right? We today is the last day of finals. Um, So I am done. And for any of our listeners that have been following along this semester, I've been taking this class on how people learn. And so I thought this is a good time to reflect back and talk about some of the the main themes of the class and something really fun, which was our final project on looking at different teaching strategies that are actually fads, which means they are not effective, but they're all over the internet. Everybody uses them, but according to the research, they don't actually work. Oh, I'm so excited to hear this because, you know, seeing on social media, all these teachers doing all these things and especially with Pinterest, you want to do all the things too. like, oh, this will make me a better teacher. Oh, that will be a better teacher. But will it really? Because it's a big time investment to do a lot of these probably just fads. So lay it on me. (laughs) So I think it's been at least a month now that we talked about learning styles And that was a really eye-opener because I've always heard about learning styles and how you need to do things for visual learners and kinesthetic learners and audio learners. And like you said, it's a lot of work to try to tailor every lesson to every style of learning. Yeah, no kidding. And I'm so glad that that is (laughs) not true. And I learned a lot from that episode. So make sure you check out that episode if you haven't heard it yet. And the main points from when we were discussing learning styles The challenge or the problem with that, what we call FAD, is it depended on students all having different types of learning, which the research doesn't support. You should instead be focusing on the content. What is it I'm trying to teach and what's the best way to teach that content? So we gave the example of if you're trying to teach a language, talking in that language is what helps. Showing videos is going to help you. Um, it doesn't is not because that student is more visual or more auditory. Everybody learns a language by hearing that language spoken. And so that is a theme across a lot of these learning styles or learning fads that they're just missing that point. They think every student needs to be taught individually. And that puts a lot of burden on the teacher in the classroom when in fact we as humans have very similar ways of learning. And that's a very 
awesome thing. <laughs> and so we should make our job a little easier by understanding what are these similarities and then how can I leverage that to most um, to have the greatest impact on our students. So we had talked about a couple learning uh, theories. There was behavioral learning theory, developmental, constructivist learning theory, and social learning. So I created this flow chart. Um, so if you don't want to go back and listen, or you just want like a cheat sheet on all these learning theories, it's going to be, uh, there's a link in our podcast notes, and it's going to be on our website. You can download it for free and you can get kind of the highlights of the learning theories. Awesome. So what I wanted to do is using what we've kind of discussed this semester is going through what some people have said are fads. And a few of these actually are very re relevant to us and to what we do with STEM education. So I'm just going to list a couple and then we'll do a little deeper dive. So one of them is flexible learning spaces, meaning you don't want kids sitting in rows and desks. Give them more options on where they sit or if they even sit while they learn. The second one is maker spaces. And that might be shocking to our audience that that is possibly a fad and we can dive into that. Tied with that one is discovery learning, which is letting students do the learning and having unguided learning. So basically putting them in a room with a bunch of microscopes and things that they can manipulate and saying, go figure it out and learn. <laughs> and that's actually very connected to my toddler because that's the Montessori approach of learning mm. is letting your kids basically be the guide. We'll dig into that. Flipped classroom, that's a really popular one, especially in higher education, having the students do the lecture on their own and then going into the classroom and doing the hands-on part with the instructor. And then we have teach like a pirate. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there and you'll find out more <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> and then finally, one of our classmates actually picked STEM as a learning fad. Wait, what? <laughs> Please let that not be a fad. I want to be real. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to dive into those. So Claire, you know, I'm going to let you pick. Which one do you want to talk about? Oh man, I need to know all of those, but let's start backwards. I want to know oh, if STEM no. is a fad. <laughs> oh boy, you're going to start with this one. Okay. Yep. So they put STEM in term. so it depends on the context. Their challenge with STEM is how it's being used by teachers and how it's being defined. And if anybody has read our Not All STEM is Equal blog post, I recommend starting there because we would also agree that the way that STEM is being used is often pretty useless in what we're trying to accomplish as educators. And what I'm talking about is the more crafting side where you're telling kids, let's make a bookmark. Let's, uh, you know, what are some examples we've seen? Like make this toilet paper roll into something different. Yeah, we go through that in depth in our first podcast episode. So if you want more in-depth information about what we define as STEM, listen to episode one, the three stages of STEM. Yeah, exactly. And what this class is about is how people learn science in particular. And so looking at using STEM and the way teachers are using it, it's replacing a lot of our science classroom time, especially elementary school. So now that the next generation science standards have included engineering practices, teachers are overwhelmed and they're like, oh, I have to do engineering design challenges. And they have no idea what that means and they're not prepared. And so they're trying to teach, say, forces in motion with an engineering design challenge. 
And by the end of this class period, the kids are walking away having a lot of fun doing a craft and knowing nothing about forces in motion. And so Mm -hmm. my advisor, that's actually her research area, is looking, her latest paper was about how STEM is killing the science classroom. Very dramatic. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a good point. The wrong kind of STEM is killing science. And I can see that it's really evident when you go on Pinterest and search STEM. And it's, it's a danger that we need to really pinpoint and define what STEM actually should be. And I hope that these new standards that are coming out will really guide teachers. And that is our goal, right, is to make sure that we are helping educators be able to get on the right track of what STEM mm-hmm. actually is and how it can enhance enhance science curriculum and not take away from it. Yeah. And there is a long-standing history of science research on the best way to teach science. And by introducing STEM, it is not meant to replace years of research on how we should teach concepts, the science phenomena, photosynthesis. I mentioned like Newton's laws. These are really difficult concepts for kids And they cannot be taught by the engineering design process. And we've never claimed that they can. We see it as part of something we mentioned earlier, the learning cycle. So there's different phases when you can teach science. And one is using it as a hook in the beginning to get them excited about the concept. And then at the end to apply what they're learning. So if we're doing catapults, for example, and we're talking about elastic potential energy, can you take that elastic potential energy and use it to fling an object, right? And then they're using the vocabulary, but you've had to first introduce it through your normal science activities. And there's different strategies here, but we've never claimed that engineering design replaces that. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in the science classroom is that engineering design is fun, And it produces, you know, better communication skills, teamwork, all these are great. But at the core, kids are walking away and learning less science, which is really bad. And Mm -hmm. that is showing um, right now in this culture of mistrust where they don't trust science and they don't trust science experts. And if they think also with engineering, if they think they're engineers by doing this like fun tinkering activity, they're walking away with more misconceptions than when they started. I didn't think about that. So true. And that's where they were arguing that STEM is a fad in the science classroom in the way it's being used. And that's my research right now is looking at what exactly are we trying to do with STEM? And my focus has been engineering design. And I think that is the core of when I hear the STEM acronym, and that's our definition, is applying math and science to solve a problem using the engineering design process. And that's also using technology. But we never say learning science and math, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> through using engineering design, because there is no evidence that going through this process is going to teach you specific science concepts, especially if you have misconceptions about them. And, and that's something we just want to encourage our listeners to think about and be aware of whenever you're trying to add this in. We still believe that STEM engineering design has an important role in the science classroom in enhancing our curriculum. It helps us understand those science concepts. It brings in the real world connections. I love using it as an after school program because I can have more fun with it. There's more time for kids to be building, learning communication, teamwork skills. But even in the classroom, as long as we're very aware of how we're using it, what the goals are, and what we're trying to do, 
I think it works well. Definitely. I mean, that's how I structure my STEM class time is I'm a devoted STEM class. So I'm not integrating STEM into something else, but I want to make sure that I am supporting science and math with my STEM and not the other way around. So for example, the other day I taught about my, my STEM challenge was for kids to build a table that can hold a bunch of books using only newspaper and tape. But before we started in on that engineering design challenge, I had my students hypothesize which shape of column of just a piece of cardstock would hold the most weight on top. So I created out a cardstock, I just folded it, I made a cylinder, I made a rectangular prism and a triangular prism. And they're all like, oh, the rectangular prism looks the strongest, you know? And so then I stacked books that collapsed. And then the triangular prism collapsed. And then the cylinder held a whole bunch of weight. And so they were seeing this happen like, oh, and then we talked about the science behind it and how structures can support different loading just because of their inherent shape. And then I gave them the engineering design challenge and they had to use that science knowledge that they had just learned and apply it and see, oh, well, if I make a table and make the legs cylinders, that's probably going to be stronger. They tested this when they made their tables and it worked. And so they came away learning the science because they applied it in an engineering design challenge. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And I've also seen teachers have them do the design challenge first, and then they introduce some science and the kids can then say, oh, wait, if I use that concept to improve my design, and then you're applying it that way. And so that's also doing engineering design through the iterative process or optimizing it and redesigning. And so there's definitely ways to really um, connect engineering with science, but just being aware that they have different goals and they have different outcomes for our students is, I think, the main takeaway. So we do not need to change our name of Vivify STEM. I am still a strong <laughs> believer in STEM education, but I do think it is coming under fire right now because it's become so pervasive and just used in a way that is not what was intended and taken a little too far in some cases and taking over some core content that is very critical to our students. And I know as a middle school educator, when they come to me and they don't even understand basic things about like planetary science. So when we do a moon colony competition and they think that everything's floating on the moon, like, did you not learn about gravity and science? And they really don't get a lot of science in elementary school, which is terrifying. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because yesterday I had that conversation with a fifth grader who they were building their lunar colony design and he had this room and he said, okay, and then I'm going to have all these bins that are attached to the wall so that they can store all their things without them floating away. I was like, why would they float away? And he said, well, cause you're on the moon. <laughs> I said, there's still gravity. And he's like, well, don't things float though? So yeah, not having those basics of science ingrained in them and then enhance it with STEM yeah. or reiterate it with STEM. It's just mm -hmm. so critical. Yep, exactly. I had a, an argument actually with the seventh grader about that topic in front of everybody. And he was convinced that he <laughs> saw some evidence on the internet that things float. Like he was taking that. It's kind of the whole, did we ever land on the moon? Oh, Which no. Very frustrating. And you are wearing a NASA shirt. So <laughs> always. Yes. 
Yeah. Those are the kind of conversations get me fired up. (laughs) Exactly. And that's our job, right? And it's kind of fun as engineering teachers to bring that up because then they're excited instead of sitting in front of a textbook and reading about gravity, writing down the answer, putting it on a test, walking away and never having understood it. And that was Mm -hmm. a big part of this class was how can we actually teach science? We're not talking about passing the test. And that's what the research shows that kids are really great at separating their school knowledge from their actual understanding of the world. They have become two separate buckets in their mind. We got to bring it together because science is our world and you've got to use what you're in the classroom is real world. And like, it's crazy to me that they don't see that. And it's the fault of the teacher to, that's not making that connection for kids. Right. That's exactly true. And that's why I think that STEM programming is so important, but you have to make application of science a critical pillar in that STEM program. So like you mm-hmm. said, they can see that what you read in the textbook and what you filled in the blank on the test, you use that knowledge to see how it actually works in the real world. And that's why we have real world STEM connections. Talk about careers, how they can actually use that knowledge in the real world. So important. Exactly. Okay. So I think we'll end it there. And next time, which topic would you like to cover to dig in deeper? I must know. Are we going to talk about teaching like a pirate? (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Okay. We'll talk next time. Bye.